Welcome to Companions of the Perception Check, episode 12, Maturation and Aging in D&D. I'll be your host, Kevin, and tonight I'm joined by... Seth Colgrove. Megan Latta. Kim Raymer. And Zachary Ruffin. <laughs> Thanks for joining. Tonight marks the first time that Kim has joined us in our podcast outside of playing. I just love how she begrudgingly... <laughs> <laughs> her name. <laughs> I'd like to, to welcome you guys. And tonight we're talking about age in honor of the birth of Megan and mine's daughter, baby Gwen, who just seems to have woken up in her name. We are talking about aging and maturation for the different races in D&D. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, but I didn't realize it was the theme. That's, that's on me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let's begin the discussion. Um, we all know that, you know, at least with the the stock fantasy characters, humans and elves and the like, they don't age at the well. They age at the same rate, but they don't have the same lifespans. Now, does that translate to? different maturation rates do all do all uh, races see their young as adult at roughly 18 it's like when it's, it's, it's fair um like some races mature very quickly Aerofocra uh actually are mature at age three which is probably a good thing because they only live to be 30. Yeah, you better mature quickly if you've only got 30 years. <laughs> so when the greatest Aarakocra warrior was my age, he had been dead for a year. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I mean, do do the other stock races, say elves... Are, are they are is their maturation the same or because due to their longer lifespan is say adolescence and young adulthood kind of extended out uh, well elves are particularly unusual because what is physical mature maturity for them is not social maturity for them elves age like mature physically at the same rate humans do, as in their adults at around 18 to 20. But they're not considered to be actual adults till they're 100. You know, I can see the pros and cons in that. You get all the benefits of being adult physically, but you still get the, oh, they're just youth. That's why they set fire to half the homes. Those damn kids setting fires. It's always fires with us. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there were no elves involved in that burning. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, what about, say, tieflings or dragonborn? Uh, well, what's interesting uh, is, well, dragonborn have an unusual physical maturation rate. They live as long as humans do. Uh, but they um, they are about the equivalent of 12-year-olds at age three 
and are walking within minutes of being born, but they are and but they're full adults, both socially and physically, at age twelve. Hmm. I suppose that's a kind of a downer because. Yeah, and tieflings mature at the same rate as humans, but they live 10 to 20 years longer. Well, I mean, that that's fine, too, but feel kind of bad for Dragonborn because they don't have that, you know, like, 5 to 10 year indiscretion period that humans get and nowhere near the, you know, 80 years that elves get for, oh, they're just young and impulsive. Yeah. yeah. Actually, one of my favorites is kobolds are full grown at age six. <laughs> I uh, I imagine the uh, making mistakes curve is shortened a lot when you have giant sharp teeth. I feel like that shortens that curve a little. I don't know. They dragonborn are scaly, essentially designed to repel such chomping mechanisms you know a baby uh, a baby dragonborn going around literally nipping at its parents heels is gonna be probably assumed to be normal yes among the dragonborn it would be <laughs> now if you had a baby elf doing that thing there'd be problems right there well maybe a lizer <laughs> are there any other races that might have different developmental cycles. Uh, I think Kenku age very, I mean, mature very quickly. And as for dwarves, they sort of have the same thing going on as elves. Mature at the same rate humans do, but aren't considered adults till much later. Um, so have we gone through got, the races? Uh, and, uh, no? Okay. I mean, we're not going through them just some exceptional cases. Okay. She had a baby timeout. That's why she. I know. I'm, I'm coming back. Maybe maybe we need maybe we need to get her a Bluetooth headset so she can just chime in as needed. <clears throat> Which would be bad because if she forgets to mute it. You hear me cooing or whatever to Gwen. Cursing. That too. <laughs> huh, I always thought that's what cooing was. <laughs> <laughs> um. What about what yeah. about some of the some of the races from the other worlds? Um, well, the Kalistar from Eberron, for example. Well, the Kalistar, you know more about them than I do. Uh, so true. maybe you could fill us in on them. So. I do a little. I do know a little. We'll we'll take this one. Well, yes, they, when you'll be included, when you can talk. <laughs> I enjoy how modest you were about it. Yeah, I do know more about that than you do. So. <laughs> well, that's that's mostly because Zach Zach takes a holistic approach to his reading, where he's like, "Okay, I need to read ten non D and D books for every one I read." And he can, and he counts these giant tomes of the collected works of X, Y, and Z as a single book. So 
And I'm like, ooh, that looks good, that looks good, that looks good. Alright. Like, so, well, that's uh, quite interesting. Okay, Black Star. <laughs> <laughs> like, talk about the weird way there. Well, Kalos are extra planar beings inhabiting bodies of humans in Eberron. So they're essentially mature they're they're mature but not the they're emotionally mature but not physically um yeah and they also kind of don't know how the real world works yeah because they're they, from the plane of dreams like planting a coin can't actually grow a money tree where they're from the the closest closest sci-fi fantasy thing I can think of. It's similar to symbionts in uh, the symbionts in the um, Star Trek. The symbionts in the uh, Trill. So as as one Kalistar essentially moves down the line it retains the previous memories. But they're still kind of half here, half not. They're childlike yeah, when they move. Belief in the belief, like yeah. Zach said, planting a coin will get a money tree. And they kind of have to work as the host grows to, to learn otherwise. It was cool in 4th edition they actually did have rules for child Kalashtar adventures. Well, as long as we're on Eberron, I said, as long as we're on Eberron, we can talk about the Warforged. Um, yep. Which are they kind of just grown adults since they're built? They're essentially, yeah, they're essentially grown adults who then are trained. Um, yeah. They, you know, each each forged is made for a specific purpose. Was made for a specific purpose. So they are essentially are activated and they know the language. They know, I don't want to say right from wrong, but they know who, at least during the, the Great War, knew, knew uh, who their masters were. And then from there, they were trained for specific duties. Stealth, cannon fodder. I would imagine they're fairly similar. Looking to like Dr. Doom. To the bio men in uh, Defiance. They were basically grown to go to war and programmed with that, and then activated. Well, I'm not sure if, well, they are grown, but, like, the Warforged are mostly made of, like, wood, stone, and a little metal. Okay. Although, I, I do admit the, the... Reading the, uh, first said the, the Dreaming Dark trilogy that set up the Everon world gave me a different impression than the how the source, the the official books later on describe them, because I, I imagine Warforge is much thinner. Like you could have, essentially, for lack of a better term, a skinny Warforged, and the ones that they describe are mostly. In fourth edition, they had a they had, well. In third and fourth edition, they actually had a category of items. Uh, Warforged body parts that you could switch out. Hmm. 
but that's that's basically all that there is from um and i have one more okay another, another, well i was saying only well, that, that's well, basically all there was for the reforged okay uh there's also the shard mines and the divas from fourth edition or devas or whatever um shard mines were it was something that kept uh, aberrant creatures out of the universe called the living gate and it was a giant crystal device built by ion well when it shattered fragments of these crystals became sentient and formed vaguely human uh vaguely human shaped floating formations of crystals that were psychic but they don't grow or anything because they're also constructs and just sort of have knowledge and stuff they took from the gate when it broke up. So they don't really have a maturation period or really age either. And then devas, as they were in fourth edition, they were, they're born adults. It's like the divine power, but they, um, they go through a cycle of endless reincarnation rather than, uh, <clears throat> rather than like being born or having children. So if one is exceptionally evil, it will become a rake shot and Well, I guess we better keep them our, out of our campaign because we tend to just shoot straight to evil pretty quick. Um, how can how can this difference in maturation, aging, and I guess social maturity affect the your 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 characters. I want to hear your ideas first. Well, so I can I can see if you're playing an elf that if you if you choose your age to be 80 to say 120 years if you you know if you if your adventure allows you to go back to your home that you could be viewed upon as an, an impulsive young one young one who's just out there being a young person they'll you'll they'll, you'll settle down kind of the deal Darn 80-year-old hooligans. Yes. What are we going to do with that? Well, um, specifically to our game, I feel like uh, Thorval is probably a more mature adult version of an elf, whereas uh, Varys is much younger, and he acts a lot more rashly <laughs> because he would feel like he has much longer to live and much less to worry about. Yeah, yeah. You can see that. Uh, Kim, you have anything? You've been awfully quiet. Yeah, I live with her. That's kind of how it is. She's awfully quiet. <laughs> okay, well. well. well I, I also think that it, it can... It can help if you choose, say, a... Socially younger 
character because it allows you to actually grow the character. Have a reason for all the dumb crap we do? Well, no. That's... It... Well, I guess you could, we could we could say it's that that's the reason why we do all the dumb crap and the arson and the genocide and the things like that. Um, but I don't think those are young. I like how we just mentioned it so casually. <laughs> but I, I think it allows a, a way to have the characters grow naturally through the story. You're not yeah you're not shoehorning in the grizzled old elf who's on death's door suddenly having a conversion that, you know, maybe setting fires with grease and shoving carts down them, uh, that's probably a bad idea right before, you know, he keels over. Um, so, I think, at least for, at least on the story front, it, it allows you to naturally have the character evolve. I think uh, I think one of the big points is the interplay between races. Um, like if you have, I mean, orphan is a big stereotype in fantasy, but sometimes it can really come into play, especially in D and D. The Brimstone Angels book, um, Fairy and Farida and Avalar are two tieflings, but their foster father is a dragonborn, and so. He got them when they were, you know, only a few months old. And at their point in their lives at this point, he should be a grandfather now. Instead, they're like late teens at the start of the story. Mm -hmm. so, and he sort of gets an interesting role in the story because he's kind of fallen in love with being a dad. As Dragonborn do. Also, I think it's funny that Megan likes that character so much because he's batting for the other team. <laughs> well, in in all fairness, Megan's celebrity crushes do that. That does happen to Megan's celebrity crushes. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. When when these intersect, it can create a lot of non combat situations for roleplay. You know, uh, take, take the Dragonborn, you know, they're, they're fully mature at three, or no, twelve. Oh, no, no, they're, they're, they're adolescents at three, they're adults at twelve. Alright, so they're adults at twelve, so you bring a, a twelve-year-old Dragonborn and sick them with a bunch of between humans, they're going to have a very different outlook on what's going on. Um, you stick a 80-year-old um, human with an 80-year-old elf. You know, the old you'll get a whole yeah. different set of expectations and, and thoughts and discussions where the 80 year old or even if you just put a young human and a young elf together um like say 80 year old uh, elf and say 16 year old human they're about equivalent in terms of you know ages as they be viewed by their societies but um but still 
you can do a lot more in 80 years than you can in 16. Yeah. So your 80-year-old elf would have gone on campaigns and such. A, they tend to stay home till they're 100, but even so, they've done a lot more in 80 years just because they're 80. Yeah, and then you've got, I mean, what about what about races such as the Thycreen, Aarakocra, and possibly even Kenku who have much shorter lifespans? Yeah. If you compare the shortest lifespan, which is like the Aarakocra, which is like 30 years, I think Thrycreen's about the same. And compare it to the longest lifespan, which are gnomes or elves. An elf can live, like, if you just, an elf lives 23 full lifetimes of a Aarakocra if it dies of old age. And also, if you're an Aarakocra, make sure the ghost use horrifying visage on someone other than you. That's, because horrifying that, visage, if it hits and you fail the, your saving throw by enough, 1d4 times 10 eight years more onto your life under how old you are. Ooh. That's, yeah, that's... So you've got like a 1 in 2 chance of dying if you're hit with that. Although that that does, that can bring into into the role playing, you know, uh, a, a mortality aspect. Now, granted, you know, in in a good campaign where there's actual danger everywhere, death is you're you're literally knocking on death's door at every corner. Um, but he's got a lot of location. Yeah, he's got a lot of location. Um, it's not it's not the same for someone to die of old age as they do in battle. You can yeah. yeah. If you're suddenly you know if you're if you're a human and you're you know thirty years old and suddenly you get added forty years. Suddenly, you're infirm, you're frail, and you know, depending on your genetics and how mean the DM is, you might just drop dead right there, or be given an, an out of like you can hobble away from this. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that how most battles of our battles end? We hobble away. Fair enough. Except when they're boss battles, I've spent a lot of work in Tarnock. Yeah, then we end it in 30 seconds and <laughs> celebrate. Um, I mean, we, we've covered the the races that live shorter, but what about the ones who live longer? How do they, they really approach life? Uh, it depends. There's, a, there's some that take a more leisurely approach, like elves and dwarves. Dwarves can live to be... 250 to 300 and elves live upwards of like 700 years. But what's interesting about it is the two longest lived races that are currently available in the game approach life very differently. Uh, elves are very, you know, divide your life into segments. 
approach it very patiently, whereas gnomes, which live just as long, want to see as much of the world and life as they can, as if they would die tomorrow. Well, I, I mean, I, I can I can see both sides of that. that would be partially due to a cultural paradigm. I mean, elves, not all elves, but a lot more elves, especially when you see them depicted in fiction and otherwise, come from a more highborn, looking down on society sort of thing. In general, when I think of a gnome, it's something that's more spiritual, something that starts in a lower class and wants to see what the rest of the world has to offer. And I think that can, that can bleed over excellently into to a campaign because you can they, they can balance each other out you've got humans which could fall either way a, a slow steady disciplined the reckless adventurer but if you get the if you get an elf and a gnome they will tend to balance each other out uh, a gnome who's just like Tonight we're eating at this tavern because I've never eaten there before. I don't care if it's across town and twice as much. You know, the elf is... Let's move closer. It's in a bad part of town. It's We don't want to go there after dark kind of a deal. So it, it gives you the chance to, one, work as a group and figure stuff out, and two, dig each other out when someone does something rash. Yeah. Well, that, that never happens in our campaign. We never make rash decisions or <laughs> burn tents. Or... So the question then becomes, how, how do these interact? Like you've got, I mean, in a, in a story, it can it can interact fairly you, you could make different things. Like, if you've got an all-elf campaign, then, you know, you show up to a city, and then you leave, and in game time, you know, you, you in real time, you've taken a break. You finish whatever, and you come back a few months later and want to pick up the story, you know, depending on how the story wants to go game time could be 50, 60 years and you go back to the city and you're not dealing with Bob the blacksmith anymore, you're dealing with his son, Joe you know, Bob may be still there, he may be dead Um, and that introduces, you know, more role play options, maybe Joe's not as scrupulous as his dad. Maybe Joe's gotten into yeah, trouble yeah, yeah. dealing with a, a mob-type organization and you need to help him out. Well, it's because Bob had them living on the brink of poverty and Joe doesn't want his family to live like that. I feel bad for Joe. <laughs> yeah, uh, they actually do this, uh, they do a really good one of this in, uh, the last mythical trilogy, which is actually one of the only books I've seen where the gold elf is actually a good guy, but 
uh, he he wants to collect this adventuring band together to help him on his quest. And he starts gathering together. A couple of them are elves. I think one of them is a dwarf. But then he tries to go contact his old old uh, human member of that adventuring group. She's dead now. And he's dealing with her grown-up daughter, who's an aeronaut. Wait, how does that happen? Uh, Janazi are mortals with any sort of major air elemental, usually gin. Okay. Another Chris Perkins moment. I mean, you've got, outside of that, in at least in a, a game, it's understandable why half-elves tend to be loners because their, their lifespan is significantly longer than humans, but much, 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 much shorter than elves. So there's no real... They yeah. really don't fit either way. By the time they're dying of old age, their elven friends are still pretty young. And by the time they're actually... I mean, well, they, they're adults more or less the same way humans are, but all, their hu- all the humans around them are growing older much more quickly. And oh yes, best aging feature about elves? Their hair turns red in old age. This is why Zach will be found at the local elf retirement center. Um, well, do you know? But, uh, you know of any other? Well, do you know of any other fictional people that reject the standards of their race? Uh yes, uh, Driz. Uh, Driz in uh in his books, first time he really gets romantic with Cadbury, who's a human. He, re- he muses at one point, I'm 160. Mm-hmm. She's like 30. What is that going to mean? I'm going to look like this for hundreds or more years. She's going to get old just a few, you know, decades from now. Mm-hmm. She's, I mean, she's already in her prime now. And what's it going to be like for my kid if we have a kid together? I mean, half drow are a thing, but, uh, and so an elf has told him he needs to, in order to do what, to live among the, you know, the, uh, the faster lived races, he needs to divide his life into sort of chunks and segments. And he tries that, but he ultimately rejects it and wants to take in the whole of his life as he experiences it. Also from those books, uh, you have another one of those uh, elf experiences with uh, Dahlia and Talora Som. Talora Som's a human red wizard of Thay, and Dahlia starts out the book that she's in is kind of her underling. And uh, but Dal, like there's it, the opening of the book covers actually like twenty years, and one particular. One particular thing that is a sticking point in part of Solorosom's bitterness towards Dahlia is in these 20 years, Solorosom's gone from being pretty young, you know, to being kind of an old hag, while 
Dahlia looks exactly the same. She's a moon elf. Because uh-huh. Laura Song's petty. Like all Redwood. Wow. That does give us a lot to think about when we roleplay and choose the ages of our characters. Um, yeah. I believe that's what we've got tonight. I'd like to thank everybody for joining me. Seth, Zach, Kim, Megan's off with Gwen, making sure Gwen can roll her dice properly. But we will see you next time on Companions the Perception Check. I would like to thank all of our guests, as well as bensound.com for our music, Extreme Action. You can find them at bensound.com, as well as visit us at companionsofperception.net.